Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda Yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. Namaste, everyone. Good to see you. It's going to be a really fun night. Really starting to look forward to this uh, third Thursday. Um, something different. Um, so, yeah, Chaitanya's put together an amazing presentation tonight on Vishnu, the preserver. Um, and we'll learn all about the just the manifestations and a little bit about everything probably tonight. And then we have a couple of really fun chants planned, actually three. That's going to be awesome. And then we'll meditate together and see where the night, uh, see where the class leads us. <laughs> see where the night leads. Right. Yeah. So, so wonderful to be here bridging uh, from one side of the, con the, the earth to the other side and, and all the way in the middle. This is a really expansive class. So uh, Chaitanya, thank you uh, for being here. I'm going to hop up and spotlight you and you're welcome to take it from there. Hey, namaste everyone. So good to be here and always a little difficult starting to talk after a wonderful chant like that. <laughs> I feel like going more inside and just staying there rather than coming out and, and talking, but we do need to talk. So let me quickly share and get the show on the road, as Satyam would say, perhaps. <laughs> so um, today's session is on Vishnu, the preserver. Um, please write in the chat box or something if you can't uh, see any of this. I assume it's all okay. So I'll just forge right ahead. Um, Vishnu is um, part of the Trinity in Hindu cosmology. Um, the Trinity representing the creation, preservation, and destruction aspects. And there are three divinities associated with these three aspects. Brahma is associated with creation. Vishnu, the topic for today, is preservation. And Shiva, who we all know and have also covered in a previous session, is associated with renewal or change, destruction, in other words, of what exists. Um, Vishnu is usually depicted with a bluish, darkish kind of complexion and is seen usually holding four objects in his four arms. A very uh, distinctive hallmark of any Vishnu image or picture that you might find. Those four objects, as you can see in the, left, in the right uh, hand in the rear, he's holding a, a disc, a whirling disc. Um, which represents time effectively. He's also holding a conch shell in his uh, rare left hand. And he's um, holding a mace uh, next to his feet in his right, in right front hand. And a lotus representing purity and emancipation and liberation and such in his left front hand. If you see an image with these four objects in the four hands. In all probability, that's Vishnu. 
Vishnu also has many avatars. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll come to more of these avatars and talking about the avatars a little later. Um, commonly, there are 10 avatars of Vishnu. Um, sometimes as many as 24 or 25 avatars, but typically 10. Vishnu being the um, deity for preservation, he has a very pleasant but firm demeanor. He's always standing firmly on both feet that indicates stability. You look at the form of Vishnu, it's always very well balanced in the statues and the images that you see. And his face is extremely serene and pleasant with a hint of a smile. Vishnu's avatars, the manifestations of Vishnu for specific purposes may have um, not as much of a symmetrical um, posture depicted in the pictures or in the statues. They may be a little off center to indicate dynamism that they are avatars, not Vishnu, the uh, um, original God. So the name Vishnu means to pervade actually, to cover and represents the idea that he exists in everything. He's in everything at creation, at dissolution time, and in everything in between. And this is also reinforced in his reclining images, which we'll get to if we have the time. And many of you may have seen that where he's lying down on a serpent and he has Brahma sitting on a lotus that emerges from his navel. And the, there is a whole bunch of symbology associated with that in terms of creation. We'll get to that further in the um, conversation if we have time. Okay. So with that, we'll move on to the uh, next slide. Vishnu is associated with the um, idea that the universe functions according to cosmic rules and principles, universal rules and, and, and codes of um, functioning, which is in Sanskrit called dharma. And this word dharma has very deep connotations, subject of a lot of uh, philosophic discussions and so on, but the deity representing dharma in the Hindu cosmology is Vishnu. And the idea is that Vishnu preserves dharma the functioning of the universe according to these rules and principles. The word dharma actually also has connotations in our lives. And we, you might have come across the expression, um, living a dharmic life in alignment with the dharma. So there's both the universal aspect of the word dharma and the personal individual aspect as well of the individual lives. And Vishnu is the ruling deity of this, as I said before. He preserves dharma. And the fourfold goals of human life in this context um, represent a life that is lived and unfolds according to what are called the purusharthas. And that's the word here in the slide, in the third bullet, the word purushartha, meaning purusha is an individual, artha is the goal or the material benefit, so to speak. And there are four such material um, evolvements in an individual's life. The first dimension of involve, uh, evolvement 
is dharma, where the life that is lived well aligns with the greater good of the cosmos. You're in alignment with that, and you expand the scope of that individual life uh, to include not just the individual, but many other individuals around. Second aspect is artha, which is material wealth and prosperity, health, longevity, all the material pleasures. Kama is the third one, and they refer to sensory joys, the pleasures and happiness that we feel, right? Anything to do with our sensory perceptions. And the last one is what we all attain. If we've led a dharmic life, in pursuing the artha, the material aspects, and kama, the sensory aspects, it's been a dharmic life within liberation from death and birth, moksha. Vishnu is the deity that oversees or that we pray to to help us lead a dharmic life. It preserves dharma in the individual and in the cosmos. Our material growth should align with the dharma for liberation, initially for ourselves in our lives, and as we refine our life and our practice, then it should uh, help others beyond our individual scope. And in this respect, you'll find that many scriptures and hymns, they promise help in attaining these four goals, the Purusharthas, including our own Guru Gita. There is a phrase in the Guru Gita at the beginning, at the very beginning, that says, Mama Chaturvidha Purushartha Vidyarthe Jape Vinayoga, Mama, mine, Chaturvidha, four kinds. Chatur is four, Vidha is kind. Purushartha, that's the word we just examined. Siddhyarthe, attain. Jape Vinayoga, Japa is recite. Vinayoga is the practice. So Vishnu, the primary aspect of Vishnu has to do with Dharma. And this is what he preserves and enables in our practices. Avatars. So in the Vaishnavite tradition, as in, in the followers of Vishnu, they belong to what's called the Vaishnavite traditions. And they're called Vaishnavites. Vishnu protects the cosmos and life as we know it from very serious dharmic imbalances when they may arise. And Vishnu incarnates as an avatar to set right such imbalances. Okay. And these avatars, there have been nine such incarnations to date. And the tenth one is yet to come, Kalki. Kalki, the tenth avatar, brings dissolution. Kalki stands for the end, the avatar happens, of our current epoch or age called Kali Yuga. So the previous nine incarnations so far, as you can see in the pictures over here, uh, if I can get the mouse across, I don't know if I have the mouse, maybe not. Anyway, right up on top, you'll see the um, picture of the fish, but actually left bottom, sorry, we'll go clockwise. Left bottom is the fish. That was the first avatar where um, there's the big flood, the deluge, and the fish avatar helped rescue life as we, as we know it on earth and bring them to safe uh, refuge. The tortoise, which is called uh, um, Kurma avatar in Sanskrit, there was the boar, 
avatar. And after that, there was the half lion, half human avatar up on the top left. Um, that avatar is called Narasimha. Then there is the dwarf human, who's called Vamana. Then Parashurama, the warrior sage. Rama and Krishna, who we all know and love in our part of our chants. And yes, um, Buddha is also considered, believe it or not, to be an avatar of Vishnu in the Vaishnava tradition. With Buddha, there's a lot of dharmic aspects in Buddhism and was deemed um, sufficiently aligned and close to the ideal of Vishnu that Buddha was considered in the Vaishnava tradition as an avatar. And of course, the 10th one is Kalki. There are lots of stories and questions and um, discussions around dharma that are associated with each of these avatars. Maybe you can examine them in subsequent classes. But for today, we'll examine Vishnu as is, and just mention that Rama and Krishna are the most common in temples and altars everywhere. And Rama and Krishna are also the focus. A lot of um, the efforts or sadhana in the path of bhakti, devotion, praise, chanting. And Vishnu loves chanting. He is very approachable to the loving um, heart, to the loving approach. And Vaishnavites, as in the chants that we see for Rama and Krishna, embody that aspect of Vishnu. And in this respect, I just wanted to put in a couple of quotes from Babaji, where he talks about this. In the first quote, Babaji had said, the yogis believe that the universe is structured as three worlds, this world, the Devic world, and then the indescribable world. As you tune yourself to the realm, you begin to, the Devic realm, you begin to experience the astral or Devic realm. Devic realms are inhabited by beings who manifest certain kinds of energy or shakti that can be of great benefit in a student's sadhana and a person's life. And again, further on, he had said in response to a question in satsang, when we got to the temple, when we got the temple finished, excuse me, we were chanting one day and I was in great bliss. I looked up and it was as if the whole front end of the temple became a doorway into Devic realms. In it was Lord Krishna and he was sitting there in his golden blue. And he just took his hand, waved it at me, and a stream of nectar came out of it. I thought I had been in bliss before, but I had no idea what bliss was until I experienced that. And Krishna. Avatars of Vishnu are in the Devic realms, Rama and Krishna. And they're there for us to connect, like Babaji said, and draw from in our practices. When we engage in the path of bhakti, chanting, or meditation, or doing puja, or japa, reciting the name of Rama, or a mantra associated with Rama, it is the loving aspect where we can unfold in our heart and connect with this Devic realm. That's the way to connect with Vishnu. So for our story today, I thought I'd talk about Dhruva. The story of Dhruva is that of a five-year-old boy 
right, who um, lived with his father and his mother. His father had actually two wives, and he was the son of the second and least favored wife. The other wife had a son named Uttama, and that other son and wife were the favorite of the king. So as one day when Uttama and Dhruva were playing, as these kids would tend to do, the half-brothers, Uttama, the favorite son, just ran up to his father and sat on his lap, desiring some affection from the father. Dhruva tried to follow him and clamber onto the lap of his father, the king. Uttama's mom, the queen, the favorite queen, was there and was observing the proceedings. And she immediately and very harshly admonished Dhruva and told him that, in no uncertain terms, actually very harshly, that while Dhruva and his mother may be royalty, that they had absolutely no claim to the king and his affections or even to the throne in future. You can imagine what this would do to the mind of a five-year-old boy, royal boy, the prince. While Uttama's mother was saying all this, the king kept quiet. As you can see in the first picture up on the top, while Dhruva is standing, Uttama is in the lap of his father in that picture. The king kept quiet and didn't contradict the queen. And so the devastated Dhruva just ran to his mother immediately and um, tried to get you know, solace and ask his mother to um, talk to the king. His mother, on the other hand, turned around and confessed that she could not grant him the king's affections and was powerless to place Dhruva on his father's lap. And therefore, she was unable to console him in any way. All she could do was tell him, you know, there is this deity Vishnu who never refuses the heartfelt requests of his loving devotees. So Dhruva immediately experienced all these emotions of consuming intensity that we all, we all feel all the time. You know, familiar emotions of hurt, anger, humiliation, the desires that we want, the affections of somebody. We want those affections forever, whenever we want them. You know, all these things that we're familiar with, right? And we're faced with these kinds of faces where we go to our usual sources of solace and we find them to be insufficient. And what we try to do in those situations is to try to go away, put a physical distance between us and the event in order to get some relief. Zuba did something similar. He walked away from the palace. And as he was walking away from the palace to follow his mom's advice to pray to Vishnu, Narada happened to come along. Narada is a sage, a very renowned wise sage in these uh, stories who advised Dhruva to recite the name of Vishnu. And he gave him a mantra to do that and meditate on his form. And the mantra that he gave him was Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. And he told him about Vishnu, the conch shell and the mace and the discus and the lotus, blue complexion and the pleasant demeanor and smile and so on. And pretty soon Dhruva was absorbed in the meditation. And the name and the form resonated deeply within him beyond all his mind stuff that could be generated in the five-year-old. And he was blessed with a vision, a Vishnu. And you can see that in the bottom picture where he's sitting under the tree and you can evoke the image of Vishnu and he was repeating that mantra. 
Vishnu comes forward and blesses him and asks him what he wants. And Dhruva, at that point in bliss, is unable to say anything else and says, all I need is just your name and your form. I've found the nectar. But Vishnu says, no, no, no. You have to ask for something. And Dhruva then says, yes, it's true. The initial motivation I had for doing this, the initial samskara, was that I wanted to be on my father's lap and get his affections. And that samskara, that karma was still unfulfilled. If you could help me fulfill that in my life and continue to enjoy the bliss of your name and form, that would be what I seek. Vishnu accepted and blessed him. And for his steadfast devotion, installed him as the North Star that we know. The name of the North Star in Hindu cosmology is called the Dhruva Tara. Tara is star. Dhruva eventually went back to his kingdom and he ruled there for the remainder of his life. He had to fulfill his earthly karma. And then that karma was subject to the familiar emotions, the desires, the crises, the responses. And he needed advice from people all around him to fulfill that karma. But he had had the taste of that nectar, called Babaji, of the name and the form. And that's what we should be striving for. The simple-minded, the undiluted devotion and love in the chanting in order to experience the blessings of Vishnu, the preserver. At this point, I think we should probably pause and um, go to the next part of the program. Can we do the chanting now? Sounds great. Can you put it up so that you guys can see that? Yeah, so there are three chants that we'll be doing today. Um, the first one is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Chaitanya Bol, Chaitanya Bol. Hare is a word that means victory too, more power too, so to speak. Krishna and Ram are the two avatars that we talked about. Chaitanya, which happens to be my name, means consciousness <laughs> <laughs> or bliss. The bliss of devotion, the bliss of liberation, the bliss of chanting. Bol is to say, speak, say, bliss, say, chant, bliss, as you say the names of Rama and Krishna. Victory to Rama, victory to Krishna. The second chant is Jaya Guru Omkara. Jaya is again victory. Guru, Omkara is the primordial sound, Om. Omkara was the manifestation of Om. Jaya Guru Omkara. 
And the Guru is a manifestation of Brahma, Vishnu, and Sadashiva. Sadashiva is, Sada is eternal, forever. Brahma, Vishnu, and the eternal Shiva, the eternal auspicious one. Om Namah Shivaya. Om, I bow with respect my inner self to Shiva. The third chant is um, Ram. Ram, 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 Lot. That's a wonderful <laughs> chant. Can't get enough of that. <laughs> Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram, 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 Sita Ram. Sita is the wife of Rama. And we generally say in chanting about Rama, we always say Sita Ram. And sometimes in fast chants, it's a bridge to Sia, as in Sia Ram, Sita Ram or Sia Ram. Go ahead.
can all take a moment to settle into your meditation seat for the last 15 minutes of class. I'm glad we had extra time to meditate, uh, to chant, being that that was a focal point of Chaitanya's presentation and finding that devotional quality in our meditation seat, because that was also how Dhruva, you know, made that contact with Vishnu as he sat under the tree. And so we all have challenges in our life that, you know, could parallel with the ones that were in the story. And what I really took away from that story was, was that like the individual who's willing to transmute, you know, that tension into energy through their practice grows, you know, there, that's how we often contact the divine is by working with these worldly challenges in a more vertical way. And so you might not have the same issues as Druva, and we might not have the same issues as each other. But when you sit down to meditate, something usually pops up to distract you. And we can either choose to engage with that on a worldly level, you know, as Druva could have, or we can use our practice to see what's possible. And so as you start to smooth out your breath flow and smooth out your seat, both become very calm and sustainable, just like Vishnu. Something that's hard to, for our minds to process is when we work out something vertically, we don't have to get into it. We don't have to figure it out. We just have to be present for a sustained period of time and the knot unravels itself. 
And so let your awareness, you know, flow down towards the heart. And allow yourself to just exist in this heart space, this inward space, as the sutras might say, in succession, you know, sustainably. Hold your awareness at the heart, just like you might hold your focus on the North Star if you are navigating into uncharted territory. You feel that single point of light, the center of the chest, and let yourself gradually draw towards it.
Vishnu is often depicted in a reclining position. And though we sit up straight for our practice, you can internally relax as much as if you were reclining back, as if you were totally letting go of your day. Let yourself explore what that feels like inside to be inside in your heart simultaneously very deeply relaxed.
we can finish our meditation in much the way that the story of Druva ended, where he opened his eyes, so to speak, to his life and to his dharma, but he still retained that inner connection to the deity, you know, to his heart. that both were true and both were essential aspects. It wasn't just about, oh, I'll just let all this go. No, we have to grow and work through our our karma. It's how we grow. And if you're able to use that that story, you know, as a metaphor, you need a guiding principle. You need that North Star uh, guiding you through, showing you how to grow from the situations in your life and if you can just find that focal point inside while you work with those situations you know that's it you know and that's quite a boon to have that i think we all probably have a lot of people in our life we wish we could say that too and say hey there's this other way and then babaji says well you just have to be the you have to be the thing you're trying to tell them about and so it is a boon, like Druva, to have, to know that that's a possibility, to have both things at once, to have your heart and your practice and to move through your world. So it seems like a good place to move back into all of our worlds, into our lives. I want to say thank you all the, or thank you to Chaitanya for preparing that wonderful presentation and that uh, beautiful story. Uh, thanks to the band here, everyone, and definitely thanks to everyone who came, uh, Sangha, making this class real. Your desire to grow is what fuels this class. So, namaste, everyone.